this morning and turn to Philippians chapter 2. We'll read the first four verses this morning. Philippians 2, 1 through 4. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. It's important to understand that only one person has ever lived that never needed an attitude adjustment. Only one person has ever lived who never needed an attitude adjustment. Now, you might be a person that really has a good attitude. I suspect many of you are. And maybe you rarely have a problem staying focused and concentrating on the Lord and the things that we ought to pay attention to as Christians. But it's an overstatement to say that you never need an attitude adjustment because only one person's ever lived who didn't. Those who love you the most and know you the best may say that an attitude adjustment could do you some good. What would the Lord say about you and your mindset, your attitude, your disposition? Do we really have a mind for what matters? You know, the sun, as bright and radiant as it is, has a sinking spell every day. And sometimes even the best of people can have times when their attitude sinks. Do you have a mind for what matters? Or do you find yourself often way too involved with your mind and heart in things that are less important than the eternal, but you give them all kinds of emphasis? If that's sometimes true with you, if you need an attitude adjustment sometimes, and if you sometimes get caught up in politics, or in news, or in problems, or in health concerns, or with job concerns, if all of these things and more sometimes take your focus away from Jesus and from what's eternal, the book of Philippians is for you. Because Philippians helps us adjust our thinking. To really appreciate the book of Philippians, go to Acts 16. Acts 16, what I propose to do in this morning's sermon, as well as this evening's, is to look at the book of Philippians and how it powerfully deals with us having a mind for what matters. For Jesus and his gospel. 
And not getting so caught up in the things of this world that we lose sight of what's most important and what's eternal. Acts 16. Beginning at Acts 16, notice verse 6. Paul is forbidden by the Spirit to go to two different places, Asia and Bithynia, with the gospel. There are times that God says no in life, but to us it sounds like it would have been good for him to say yes. Whenever God may say no or shut a door of opportunity to us, we can always be assured that he'll open another. And in this case, the door is opened to Macedonia. To Macedonia. And there is where we find the background for Philippians. In Acts chapter 16, as you keep reading, Paul goes to Macedonia... And he goes to the town called Philippi, which was named after the father of Alexander the Great, Philip of Macedon. He named the town after himself about 356 B.C., I think it was. He goes to this particular city, and there he encounters Lydia. And she's brought to the Lord in Acts 16, verses 13 through 15. There he encounters a woman who had a spirit of divination. And he helps her. He heals her. And there in Acts 16, as it closes, he deals with the well-known case of conversion of the Philippian jailer and his family. When God said no to some evangelistic doors, he said yes to another. In this case, Macedonia and to the city of Philippi that was in Macedonia, as well as other places. The church at Philippi would become Paul's sweetheart church. He loved all the congregations that he worked with. But there was a special connection, a really great bond between him and the church at Philippi. Because it had kind of come about at a downtime in his ministry. Imagine being told no to God in a couple of areas where you wanted to serve. And who would have thought that going to this town would have produced some of the results that it did? Philippi. So there's this special connection between Paul and these brethren. Now, that was about 51 or 52 A.D., if you're trying to follow chronology or time. Fast forward 10 years, because about 10 years passes, and now go to the book of Philippians. It's about 61 or 62 A.D. Paul finds himself in prison. Evidently in Rome, because the Praetorian Guard is mentioned, Philippians 1.13. Reference is made to saints in Caesar's household. Philippians 4 and verse 22. So in looking at this book, Paul's in prison. His circumstances would be far from what we would consider great. And maybe he reflected back on the time when he and Silas had been beaten and placed in stocks at Philippi. 
ten years earlier. Oh, the blessings and oh, the circumstances that had elapsed over the years. Because now the church at Philippi was a thriving and wonderful church. Paul didn't know for sure if he was going to be released from prison. But he knew whether he was released or not, good was going to come because he had a mind for what really matters. And so can we. Remember this sentence because this sentence in summary fashion encapsulates Philippians. Real joy comes by having the mind of Jesus through the gospel. I'll repeat it again, then I want you to say it with me. So listen up. Real joy comes by having the mind of Jesus through the gospel. Say it with me. Real joy comes by having the mind of Jesus through the gospel. In that sentence, four key concepts from Philippians come out. First of all, joy. Joy is mentioned 16 or 17 times in the four chapters and 104 verses that make up Philippians. Quite a lot. You're averaging four times a chapter at least when you think about joy in Philippians. But this joy that Paul writes is a joy that goes beyond circumstances. It's deeper. It is greater than the happiness that depends on circumstances. And if everything's going my way, we might say, boy, I've got a good attitude. But how often do things always go your way? If we rely on circumstances to give us joy we are often going to be lacking joy. Isn't that true? You'll see in Philippians chapter 4 verse 1 and Philippians chapter 4 verse 4 references to joy among other passages. Real joy comes by having the mind Oh, mindset, attitude, and disposition are important. Has there ever been a parent that didn't talk to their children about attitude and disposition and mindset? And we still, no matter how old we are, if we're Christians and we really do love Jesus, we often have to check our attitudes and mindsets and dispositions because they can be so far removed from what they ought to be. We can all struggle with this at times. Isn't that right? Only one person's ever lived that didn't need an attitude adjustment. So when you look at Philippians, notice Philippians 1. That you stand fast with one mind, with one spirit, with one soul, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Philippians 2, 1 through 4, just read for us in the scripture reading, mentioned several times the importance of being like-minded, of being of the same mind, of being of one mind. Philippians 2, 5, let this mind or attitude be in you, which was also in Christ. 
Philippians chapter 2, verse 20, I have no man like-minded who is able to minister to your state. Paul speaking of Timothy. Philippians 4, verses 2 and 3, I exhort Euodia, I exhort Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Two Christian ladies. It's about a mindset, an attitude, a disposition. Real joy comes by having the mind, the attitude, the disposition of Christ. Jesus. Real joy comes by having the mind of Jesus. Jesus is mentioned 52 times at least in Philippians. 18 times in chapter 1 alone. You see, Paul's whole world revolved around the real son. Not S-U-N that sometimes has a sinking spell, but the son of God, S-O-N. And what a powerful incentive and blessing it is for having a better attitude in life. Real joy comes by having the mind of Jesus through the gospel. The word gospel literally means glad tidings, good news, and it's the message of what God has done for sinful man in Jesus. That, simply put, is what the gospel is. And so the idea of a message that takes us and gives us joy and a better way of thinking in Jesus is what Philippians is about. And that is what the gospel is about. Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel, Philippians 1.27. Out of the nine or so times the word gospel occurs, the vast majority are in the first chapter because I am sure that the church at Philippi was wondering, how in the world is Paul in prison and have such a bright and cheery outlook? And it's because of the relationship he had in Jesus through the gospel. And that can help us tremendously too. If you'll remember those concepts, remember the word joy and look at each chapter. Joy. When we think about joy, the message of joy, the message of joy, that's chapter 1. The message of joy. We do have a joyful message that goes beyond circumstances. More about that as we look at chapter 1 more thoroughly in just a few moments. Chapter 2, the model of joy is Jesus. This is especially seen in 2, 5. Have this mind or attitude in you which was also in Christ. Chapter 3, the motive of joy the motive of joy is seen in chapter 3, especially verses 1 through 11. Paul is doing some accounting and he's thinking about his life and what it was like. But in Philippians 3, 1 through 11, he talks about his life before Jesus and his life since coming to Christ. 
Anything minus Jesus equals nothing. Even when one was a Benjamite and a Pharisee who was taught at the feet of Gamaliel and who was well regarded by his peers. Anything minus Jesus really equals nothing. So you see, the motive for joy is Jesus. In chapter 4, you can look especially at verse 13, although the whole chapter really deals with this. The means of joy. The means of joy. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can have joy no matter what my circumstances. I can have an outlook that honors my Lord and my God. Let me give you an outline of the book dealing with Jesus. Since he's found so frequently, you're not going to have real and lasting joy and a great outlook in life apart from really emphasizing Christ. Some people do in self-help books abound that never mention the name of Jesus. But you'll never have lasting joy and a great outlook in life without Jesus. Jesus is the purpose of life, Philippians 1.21. For to me to live is Christ, to die is gain. He doesn't say for to me to live is money and stuff. He doesn't say for me to live is to exercise my body. There's place for money and jobs and there's place for physical exercise in life, but they are nowhere near Jesus. For me to live is Christ. To die is gain. Secondly, Philippians 2.5, Christ is the pattern of life. He's our pattern. Maybe we look up to some people as mentors and we appreciate them, but only follow people as people follow Christ. That will bless your life. Follow me even as I also follow Christ. 1 Corinthians 11.1 1. The things which you both learned to receive, heard and saw in me do. The God of peace will be with you, Philippians 4, 9. Chapter 3, Christ is the prize of life. And again in Philippians 3, the first 11 verses, Paul is giving clear indication that everything that he had acquired, everything that he had come to be known by, really needs to be compared with the knowledge of Jesus. And all attainments pale in comparison to the knowledge of Jesus Christ our Lord. Chapter 4, Jesus is the power of life that sees us through. It kept Paul being joyful, his relationship with Jesus did. Now we're ready to look at chapter 1. In looking at chapter 1, let's look at the opening verses because it seems to me introductions are often overlooked in Bible classes and in many sermons. But when you look at the Bible here in Philippians 1, there is a magnificent description given 
of Christians. A magnificent description given of Christians consisting of five parts. Christians are called servants, or quite literally, bond servants. Paul and Timothy, servants, bond servants. The idea is this, willing, dedicated servants. When we talk about God's people, we should be speaking of willing, dedicated servants. We willingly and voluntarily attach ourselves to Him because there's no King and Lord like our Master and King and Lord. Secondly, Christians are saints. I sometimes smile at us because we talk about how important it is to be just a Christian and I believe that with all my heart, but the term is only found three times in the New Testament. Acts 11.26, Acts 26.28, 1 Peter 4.16. To belong to Christ is a necessity if one wants to have real joy and have a mind for what's eternal. You know what I mean? But the word saints is used of Christians about 60 times in the New Testament. Adam, it's funny how we call each other Christians a whole lot more than we call each other saints. I understand that the religious world has some misconceptions concerning saints. But it's a good word, it's a biblical word, and maybe we just need to teach what the Bible means. Saints are people who have come into a right relationship with God and have been made holy. Who's a saint? One who's come into a right relationship with God and been made holy. Isn't that a marvelous thought? Third, in speaking of Christians... How should we identify them? Christians are not just bond servants. They are not just saints. When you look at Philippians here, it says that Christians are people who have received grace and peace. They have received grace and peace. You know, no grace, no peace, no joy. No good outlook toward things. And then notice, Christians are people who have God as their Father and they know Jesus as Lord. They know God as their Father, verse 2, and Jesus as their Lord. What that means, friends, is... A Christian is a child of God, has God as his or her father. Now go back and look, because I said five descriptions, and I want you to get this. Christians are people who are in Christ Jesus. Isn't that what Paul wrote through the Holy Spirit? And one is either in Christ or not. There is no middle ground. Now as we keep looking at Philippians 1, Christ is the purpose of life. Look at Paul's friends in verses 3 through 11. 
He is writing, he is addressing a group of Christians, a congregation of God's people that he really loves. And he says to them, I have you in my heart and I have you on my mind. He says, I have you in my prayers. And when you look at verses 3 through 11, you might want to look at the word all, A-L-L, or always. I guess in all of our lives and in virtually any congregation, there are some people that we're unusually close to and some people, to tell you the truth, that I guess we could take or leave. When Paul thought of these brethren, all of them, they mattered to him. No matter how mature or maybe immature they were, he loved them because they were part of God's family. You know, we'll tolerate people saying a lot of things about us, but you start talking about our family, that could really be fighting words. Amen? When Paul thought of these people, he thought of them as his family and friends. And so he had a heart for them and a mind for them, and he prayed for them. Look, if you will, at verses 12 through 16. Paul talks about his circumstances. Having talked about his faith in verses 1 and 2, and what should be our faith, the one faith, the gospel faith, in these verses, he talks about his family and friends in 3 through 11. But then he talks about his circumstances in 12 through, 8, 12 through 16, rather. He talks about his circumstances. The things that have happened to me have actually happened to the furtherance, the progress, and the idea is the blazing of the trail for the gospel and how that... Many Christians had taken courage because of Paul's outlook and spirit when he was in jail, and they also were having greater courage and a better attitude and outlook in doing the Lord's work. But some, some, maybe didn't have the best attitude. Some were preaching Jesus out of envy and strife. But Paul says, I can rejoice if Christ is preached. You know what that says? There have always been people in the church whose motives were less than godlike motives. Thank God that some is not all. Thank God that some is not most. Are there people who may have bad motives in the church? Are there people who are hypocritical and maybe want to feed their egos in the church? Sure. Some preach Christ out of envy or strife. We can rejoice that Christ is being preached even when the motives may not be what they should. And we can try to encourage others to hire a nobler, purer motives. Look, if you will, Paul's future. Paul's future. Really, when you look at 12 through 18, it's pretty much about his circumstances, but 19 through 26 is about Paul's future. What does the future hold? And, you know, those are questions that we often wonder about. Our friends and families, 
our circumstances, our future. And Paul can rejoice in the knowledge that whether he lives or dies, Christ will be magnified and honored in his life. That's 19 through 26, and so should we. Look at 27 through 30. In Philippians 1, 27 through 30, Paul's concern. When you look at Philippians, it really has three purposes as a book. I don't give these in any particular order, but they're all purposes for Philippians. Number one, Philippians is a thank you note. A thank you note. It is a thank you for the gracious support and relationship that Paul had had with that congregation for some ten years. They had supported him financially on repeated occasions. And when Paul was imprisoned here at Rome, presumably, they even sent one of their members, Epaphroditus, Philippians 2, 25-30, to see about him and his needs. It's a thank you note. I got a thank you note from one of my grandkids last week, and it made my day. And the thank you note said, thank you for being my pops and for giving me that pocket knife. Do you think... You think that granddaughter really meant all that? (laughs) It was actually Mikey. But when I opened it and I saw the card that he had drawn and the words that he had written, it delighted, it put joy in my heart. Don't you know that the church at Philippi was thinking, you know, here's Paul in his circumstances, and he writes us to thank us. We need to be thanking him because we really owe our very soul to that man because we came to Christ through his preaching and teaching. And he's thanking us. Yes, Philippians is a thank you note. Secondly, Philippians has this as its purpose. Philippians is instruction on what it means to live a Christ-like life in every circumstance. Remember that. What does it mean to live a Christ-like life when you get older? What does it mean to live a Christ-like life whenever your health is poor? Whenever we know various types of prisons that may not be actual Prisons, but they're prisons nonetheless. Instruction on the joy of living a Christ-like life, no matter what our circumstances. Third, here's what Philippians is about. Paul sees a church that he loves, a church that he loves greatly, but it is on the brink of trouble Troubles within, seen mainly with Philippians 4, 2 and 3, two women who have problems with each other, Euodia and Syntyche, and their need to be of the same mind in the Lord. I'm going to tell you straight up, you got problems with the women in a church, you got problems in a church. 
Because the feminine factor can do so much to help the body of Christ in a local local setting be strong and healthy, but they can also rip its guts out. Now that's strong, but it's true. Secondly, they were facing problems from Judaizers. Philippians 1, 27 through 30 says, Don't be stampeded, don't be spooked, don't be afraid of your adversaries. You understand that suffering sometimes is going to come, even for Christians. And so this book is a book all about, in one sentence, real joy comes by having the mind of Jesus through the gospel. Say it with me one more time. Real joy comes by having the mind of Jesus through the gospel. When we need an attitude adjustment, let's not forget who we should go to and where we should go to scripture and a book like Philippians. Now I'll cover, Lord willing, Philippians 2, 3, and 4 this evening. All right? Having introduced and looked at chapter 1. Hope that this has helped you. I believe it should help anybody and everybody. All right. Real joy. Lasting joy. Abundant life. John 10, 10 comes by having an attitude, a mindset, a disposition like Jesus through the gospel. If you want to have real joy, real purpose, and a mind for what matters, you need to come to Jesus. And go right back to Philippians 1, 1 and 2. Humble yourself and seek to be His bondservant. His devoted servant. If he's the master and Lord, whatever he says, we ought to do. Amen to that? How about saints? One who has been made right with God and made holy by the Lord. In Jesus Christ. Are you in Jesus? What a question to contemplate. And one who knows God's grace and peace and who knows God as his Father and Jesus as Lord. That is the beginning of real joy and a Christian mindset. Let us stand and sing.